All right, we're just going to get right to it, begin our second session. Uh, Brother Peter, you're still going to give me the same signal, right? All right. We're in point number six again, but it's, it should be number seven. But nonetheless, you see meditation there. We're looking at the proper methods or the points and principles of approaching the scripture, how to gain the most from our gleaning of the scriptures. We've covered uh, quite a bit uh, so far. And we have about uh, four more principles to go through before I stop, because there's many more things we can cover, but just these four more. Let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4 highlights for us why meditation is important. 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll start at verse 1, and we're going to read through the chapter. And I haven't, I haven't forgotten that you had a question, Elder, or a statement, all right? 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll begin at verse 1. I'll take a volunteer for the first three verses. All right? Go ahead, preacher. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God had created to be received with thanksgiving of them, which believe and know the truth. All right. So in the latter days, this apostate teaching will take place. There will be people who are deviating from God's word. First Timothy four. Again, just reemphasizing the idea that in the latter days, there will be false teachers who come and teach false doctrine in regards to salvation and hypocrisy will be there forbidding to marry even what to eat, what not to eat. Verse number seven, please. Seven, eight, and nine. Someone read that for us. Yes, sister. But refuse profane and old wise tables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Uh-huh. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. Mm-hmm. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. All right, keep going. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. All right, so Paul is instructing Timothy what to teach. He's cautioning in regards to false teachers in the last days. He's saying shun profane fables and God, that lead to godlessness. Next verse. My brother, we're going to read Twelve. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Okay, now these are things that he's supposed to, he's instructed to do. We're going to see why meditation is important in a moment. Go ahead, keep reading. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Mm -hmm. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. What things? What things are you told to meditate upon? Uh, all right, that he's been let, hands have been laid on him. That there's going to be all these different things that are going to transpire amongst God's people. And he's saying, hold on, meditate upon these things. They are going to protect you from something. Keep going. Thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. You're going to save yourself and them that hear. But if you don't pay attention, if you don't meditate on what he's, Paul's just said to him, you're going to, it's going to go fleeting from your mind. It's going to go quickly from you. So you need to meditate on what I'm telling you. If you don't think about it, if you don't let it sit into your mind, people are going to follow you. They're going to be lost, and you're going to be lost as well. Go to uh, Joshua 1 and verse 8. You know this one. Joshua 1, in verse 8, what are we to meditate on? Remember I told you, Bible study is 24-7. There's no breaks. It's continuous. All right? Joshua 1 and verse 8. Who has that for us? Go ahead, sister, read that for us. The 
that thou mayest observe and do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. All right, so how is one to be prosperous? How often? How do you do it in your sleep? You pray for it. I mean, have you ever thought about something so much that in your sleep you think about it? I've gone to sleep sometimes thinking about things, and I wake up with music in my head. Has that ever happened to you? Songs. I wake up with the song of Zion in my mind. I remember when I was called to ministry, and I was going. To, I was running from it. You don't understand. I'd rather. Uh, I don't understand, man. I'd rather do anything but preach. I. I'd rather do anything but preach. And I remember being called to ministry, and I laid my head down to sleep. And there was a song that I had never heard before. It was 425. There is singing up in heaven such as we have never known. Where the angels sing the praises of the Lamb upon the throne. And I went to sleep and that song played in my mind. I never heard it before. I woke up. I said, man, that's weird. I said, Father, thank you for speaking to me. I went to church. The pianist was playing the same song. I had never heard it before. I said, have mercy. Thinking and praying, these things go to you even in your sleep. Meditating on a day and night continuously. What's the next verse we're looking at? Let's go to Psalms 1, verse 2. Psalms 1 and verse 2. You have it? All right, sister, go ahead and read for us. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. There it is again. How often do they meditate on it? And it's a delight to do it. I asked the Father to help me because I I couldn't understand. What do you mean delight? Delight to think about thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not cover thy neighbor. You know, what, what delight is there in that? Well, you have to think about it. You have to meditate on it. Let it sit in. What does it mean that you're going to have good success if you meditate upon God's law day and night? Meditation. Are we doing lotus position? No. No, we're thinking about something. Is our mind empty? Our mind's not empty. You're not emptying your brain. You're thinking about the principles and precepts of God's word. You're letting it seek into who you are. Psalms 119, 148. Psalms 119, 148. You're just going to be my official reader. All right. My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved, and I will meditate in thy statutes. Who's, who's talking here? David is talking, right? And you know what? David has become one of my most wonderful prophets. You know, David is a prophet. And David is prophesying. He says, I will lift up my hands to the law which I love. And people want to do away with God's commandments. I don't understand that. He says, I love the law of God. There's a, there's a relationship that he sees in that law. All right. Let's go a little further. Let's read the quotation underneath it. My brother, read this for us. We should open the scriptures with reverence and never allow one expression of lightness are trifling to escape our lips when quoting scripture. Did you hear that? Scripture should not be used as a joke. When you quote scripture, you're quoting the words of God. Not trifling, not a joke, not a game. This is heaven. All right? Keep reading for us. As we take our Bible into our hands, let us remember that we are on holy ground. Next one. There is little benefit derived from hasty reading of the scriptures. One may read the whole Bible through and yet fail to see its beauty or comprehend its deep, hitting meaning. One passage studied until its significance is clear to the mind and its relations to the plan of salvation is evident, is of more value than the perusal of many chapters with no definite purpose in view 
and no positive instruction gained. Now, this was very similar to the other one that we read. The difference is very slight in this sense. It tells us not only are we to meditate until it becomes part of us, but it says meditate until it becomes clear to the mind and its association or connection with the plan of salvation. How does this passage relate to Jesus trying to take us home and remove sin from us? Meditate on it. Think about it. Don't run past it. How does the law of God have anything to do with the plan of salvation? Think about it. What does the law of God have to do with finding a wife? Right? What does it have to do with finding a boyfriend? Or does it have anything with boyfriends at all? Huh? The law of God. What does it have to do with all the aspects of my life? Meditate on it. Think about it clearly until it's clear to you. All right? Let's go a little further. John chapter 5 and verse 39. John chapter 5. John chapter 5 and verse 39. All right, sister, go ahead and read for us. Your diligent study the scripture because you diligently study the scripture because you think that by then you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testified about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Did you hear that? Do you think the Pharisees knew the Bibles? You know, they were trained from their youth to memorize the scripture verbatim. By the age of 12, they had memorized the Torah. From, by the age of 12, they had memorized the first five books of the Bible verbatim. And Jesus is talking to these Bible scholars. He said, you search the scriptures. You think eternal life is in the scriptures, but they are they which testify of a real person. I am right here before you. And remember, now we talk about this Sabbath. They prayed for the Messiah. They agonized for the Messiah. But when the Messiah came, they didn't even know the Messiah. And it's no different from now when God's people in these last days, we talk about the second coming. We want Jesus to come, but we don't even recognize that he is here in our midst. Holding out an outstretched hand to his people. We open this book gleefully like it's a textbook. It's not a textbook. This is not Shakespeare. We're not breaking down this book like that. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Let's go a little further with our, with our next uh, Bible verse. Where we're going. Matthew 21, 42 to 44. Who has that for us? All right. Go ahead. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same as become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Who is he talking about? He's talking about himself. He's talking about himself. He's speaking about himself. He said, I'm right here. That stone that you guys read about, and he's referring, you know. Can I ask you a question? Just, it's a little sidebar, but not exactly. Just a little sidebar. Tell me something. And don't, I'm not going to get in trouble about this, I don't think. Daniel chapter 2. Stones cut out without hands. What's that mean? You think it's Jesus? All right. You say it's Jesus. It's true. It's true. It's Jesus. What does it mean? Because it's cut out without hands. There's a, there's, a, there's a system to it. It's cut out without hands. It comes and strikes the image at the feet. And then it says that the rock grows into a mountain. Tell me. What is the rock? Jesus. Gospel. Okay. Just a question. Let's move on. I'm just asking questions right now. We're going to keep it moving. Luke 24, verse 27. I suggest you go home and do some more study on that rock cut out without hands. 24. 
Yes. 24, hold on one second. 24, verse 27. Go ahead. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Beginning at who? Moses. Moses, in all the prophets, Jesus now explains everything about him himself. Let's go a little further. My sister, read for us verse 44 through 49. Mm-hmm. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Can I ask you a question? How many of you have studied and know by heart from the Old Testament, from the law of Moses, the law and the prophets in the book of Psalms, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah? I don't want you to raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Because that's how they knew. They didn't just have Matthew and Luke and John. These men, Jesus taught. Can you imagine? I wonder how that Bible study went. Jesus said, get your Bibles, brothers, (laughs) and began to walk through the Bible, talking about himself. Showed them point after point that I am the Messiah, going from Moses to the law, to the prophets, to Psalms, and prove without question that I am the Messiah. Do you understand that the people of the book in the last days should be able to do the same thing? We should be able to do the same exact thing, but we don't know. We're not really Christians, friends. We can't solidify. We know what we think we know. Until question, swept out of the church, swept from our position. We must understand. We must know. And I don't mean know intellectually. I mean know by experience. Lord Jesus, I want to know you. All right. Keep reading, sister. All right, so there's the instruction talking about himself. He opened their understanding from Scripture about him. When you study the Bible, you're looking for Jesus. Does that make sense? When you're studying the Bible, you're looking for Jesus. You're not just looking to express your own ideas, your own theories, come up with something fancy and new. You want to find the man Jesus. That's what you want. All right, let's read the, the quotation underneath. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, you guys can read that in your own time. Let's read the quotation underneath there. The central theme of the Bible. My sister, will you read that for us? The central theme of the Bible, the theme about which every other in the whole book clusters, is the redemption plan. Wait, what's the central theme of the Bible? The redemption plan. So everything clusters. If everything clusters, that means it's, it's pressing around this one point. Everything presses around the redemption plan. 2300 days around the redemption plan. 1335, 1290, 1260, around the redemption plan. Everything presses around the redemption plan. Adam and Eve, Moses, Abraham, everything's around the redemption plan. All right, keep reading. The restoration in the human soul of the image of God. Mm. From the first intimation of hope in the sentence pronounced in Eden to the last to that last glorious promise of the revelation, they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. Mm. Revelation 22. The burden of every book. What? How many books? Every book. Okay, go ahead. And every passage. How many passages? Every passage. Uh-huh. Of the Bible is the unfolding of this wondrous theme, man's uplifting, the power of God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Now, it's very cool because I like how she puts things together. You see there in that sentence where it says the the uh, is the redemption plan, the central thing in the Bible, the theme about which every other book in the whole Bible clusters is the redemption plan. Then she defines it. What's the redemption plan? The restoration in the human soul of the image of God. That's the redemption plan. You get that? So restoration 
in the human soul, the image of God is the redemption plan. That's deep to me. It's very clear. It's very simple. I don't have to argue with anybody about that. That's what it says. Redemption plan is God restoring man, putting him back in the image of God, body, mind, and soul. All right. Go a little further. I'm going to read this one. The gospel is the sanctifying influence in our world. Its influence upon hearts will bring harmony. The standard of truth is to be uplifted and the atonement of Christ presented as the grand central theme for consideration. You see that? The grand central theme, the atonement of Christ, the restoration of God, of the image of God in man. Let's look at our next one. And I love this one. This is one of my favorites. Be the friend of God. You know, you guys don't, somebody's like, well, these are not really principles of studying the Bible. Listen, if you don't do this, everything else doesn't matter. So you can get your Greek lexicon and you can get your concordance. You can go to school and get your um, BA and MA and PhD if you want to. And you neglect this, you will always misinterpret and misapply the Bible principles and prophecy. Do you understand that? All right. Let's go to, I didn't write this verse down, so let's just do it. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Deuteronomy 29, 29. You want to write that one on your paper if you don't. Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29. All right, go ahead, my brother. children forever that we may do all the words of his law. All right, so the secret things belong to who? All right, go to Daniel, the book of Daniel. Secret things belong to God. Go to Daniel chapter 2. Beginning at verse 16. Daniel chapter 2. In verse 16, remember, the secret things belong to God. Go ahead and read that for us, Elder. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would, he would show the king the interpretation. Keep going. Then Daniel went to his house and made the things known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret. Concerning what? The secret. Okay, go ahead. That Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Verse 19. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Uh, And I don't want to read the rest, but do you guys know the song? Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. Who the secrets belong to? Who did Daniel go to to get the secrets? All right. Now I want you to see something. There's there's something about a relationship in the revelation of secrets that is awesome. Genesis chapter 18. I shared this with you on uh, Friday night, I believe. Genesis chapter 18. And we're looking at verse number 16. Genesis 18, verse 16. Remember, the secrets belong to God. Amos 3, verse 7 says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing. Unless he reveals his secrets unto his servants, the... All right. So God reveals his secrets to the prophets. Genesis chapter 18, verse 16 through 19. All right. Go ahead and read it for us, sis. 16. Yes. And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Wait. If it's hidden... Is it a secret? Yes. All right. So can I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? I want you to understand the heart of God here is that he's looking to share his secret. You, do, you, you only talk like that if you have friends, you know. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. God shares secrets with his friends. You're not just giving his information out to people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you. Keep going. 
seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, mm -hmm. and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Do you, do you understand that in that verse, when it says, and all nations shall be blessed in him, that was what they called the mystery or the secret or the plan of salvation. In him, all nations of the earth will be blessed because through him, the progenitor, the seed would come, Jesus. So with this man, God is sharing his secret. Hey, I'm going to bless all the nations through you. What does that mean? Abraham probably doesn't even have a clue. He's probably thinking he's just going to be, have a lot of children, have a lot of money. But he gave him a secret, and it's been hid. It's hidden. It's cloaked. God likes to share his secrets with his friends. Go to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 7. Second Chronicles 20 and verse 7. Who has it? Okay. <laughs> Go ahead and read for us. Second Chronicles 20 and verse 7. Art not thou our God who did strive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? Oh. What did God call it? What did they call Abraham? The friend of God. How long? Oh, God needs some friends in these last days. You see, when I open the Bible, we're in communion with the God of heaven. I am in a friendship with him. I share the secrets of my heart, and he shares the secrets of his heart. Our reading, oh, look, it just came to my mind. Go to 1 Samuel. Look at 1 Samuel. And look at verse 3, I mean chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3, it just came to my mind just now. And look at this. God has been searching for a friend to talk to. He doesn't find anybody, but he finds a boy. First Samuel chapter 3. The Bible says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. That's a simple verse. But in other words, Samuel is dedicated to God's service, doing what God wants him to do. And the word of the Lord was what? In other words, if you have a New King James or any other verse, it says rare. In other words, the word of the Lord was not spoken readily. It, the prophets were silent. God was not speaking. The word of the Lord was rare in those days, precious in those days. There was no what? Open vision. God was not able to communicate with anyone. He had no friends. That's what it's saying. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. That verse is very powerful, too, because it waxed dim. Yeah, his physical eyes waxed dim, but his spiritual eyes had waxed dim. Then it says, and in verse 3, and ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord. Do you understand this? The light was never to go out in the temple. Wait, there's more. Where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep, and the Lord called Samuel. And he answered him and said, here am I. Do you see? God's looking for a friend. Word of the Lord rare. Priesthood is an apostasy. People are in an apostasy. Father, the father says, can I, find just a, can I find a boy? Can I find a boy who will speak for me? Boy or girl, doesn't matter. Jesus is looking for some friends. I know what it's like not to have friends, not to fit in. You know what I mean? And then to be taken up by the God of heaven to be his friend. Then I become a friend of friendless people. God wants to speak to us. There's a friendship there. He shares his secrets with his friends. You don't believe me. So somebody still doesn't believe me. Go, go to Daniel. People don't believe me still, so I, I have to emphasize this. To me, this is one of the most wonderful principles of Bible study. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, verse 20 through 23. Now I'll read this one. Verses 20 to 23. The Bible says, And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin, and the sin of my people Israel, 
and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. The holy what? Before I read any further, just a little side note. Side note, just a side note. What's the holy mountain? Are you sure? You sure? That's a good answer. Look at verse 16. O Lord, verse 16, O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem, thy what? So that holy mountain is Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. We call that Zion, Mount Zion. Let me ask you another question one more time. The stone cut out without hands. I'm I'm asking a question. I want you to think. Stone, cut out without hands, strikes the image at the feet, and the rock grows into a mountain. Okay, we'll we'll just keep going. Remember, quick answers, quick responses don't always give you the right answer. And when you study the Bible, you sometimes have to wait and not give an answer. Just wait. And maybe something different will come to your mind. But we'll we'll just keep going for now. Back to our original point. All right. Verse 21. Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation and informed me and talked with me and said, oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee what? Who's coming to do this? The angel. At the beginning of thy supplication, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art. Sounds like he's a friend of God. John 13, verse 23. John 13, verse 23. John 13, verse 23. Notice what it says here. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom. On his what? One of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Who's this disciple whom Jesus loved? What's his name? John. You guys are brilliant scholars. The disciple who Jesus loved in his bosom was John. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Notice here what the Bible says, verses 1 through 4. The revelation of who? Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent... And signified it by his angel unto his what? Servant John. John, whom Jesus loved, receives the greatest revelation of God's character here in Revelation chapter, in this book. The book of Revelation. It's about the relationship, friends. And I'm not talking about, when I say relationship, please don't get me trite like they say it in some other churches. I'm talking about a good relationship. Because you have a bad relationship now. You can have a boyfriend that beats you. That's not a good relationship. It is a relationship. Is that right? We're talking about a relationship where there's cooperation between man and divinity. They are in oneness with each other. And when we're talking about Bible study, we're talking about friendship. God shares with us. We share with him. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. I can look at this book all day and not get anything from it. But if I have a relationship with Jesus, he will teach me and he will show me. All right. Does everybody understand that? All right. Let's go to our last point. Actually, let's read the quotation underneath. Then we'll go to our last point. And I just want I want someone to read this that can, you know, some life. Okay, not my brother. Go ahead. Read this for us. This one here, go ahead. In the records of Genesis, we see the patriarch at the hot summer noontide resting in his tent door under the shadow of the oaks of Mamre. Three travelers are passing near. 
They make no appeal for hospitality, solicit no favor, but Abraham does not permit them to go on their way unrefreshed. Uh -huh. He is a man full of years, a man of dignity and wealth, one highly honored and accustomed to command. Yet on seeing these strangers, he ran to meet them from the front, from the tent door. Wait, what did he do? He ran to meet he them. He ran to meet them. Go ahead. And bowed himself toward the ground. Addressing the leader, he said, My Lord, if, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. With his own hands he brought water that they might wash the dust of travel from their feet. He himself selected their food. While they were at rest under the cooling shade, Sarah his wife made ready for their entertainment. And Abraham stood respectfully beside them while they part partook of his hospitality. This kindness he showed them simply as wayfarers, passing strangers, who might never come his way again. You see, you see that? No, he didn't do it because he would benefit from this. He wasn't trying to work a business deal. He was doing this because, hey, these are people. I want to show them respect and honor, and I'm going to do this. All right? Watch what happens. But the entertainment, is over, uh, the entertainment over, his guest stood revealed. He had ministered not only to heavenly angels, but to their glorious commander. Did you hear that? He didn't just minister to angels. He ministered to Jesus himself. Go ahead. His creator, redeemer, and king. And to Abraham, the councils of heaven were opened, and he was called the friend of God. Since chills up and down my spine. To know that when you behave like a friend of God, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it where? To me. That's why I find it so gracious the pastor let me stay in this house over there. Very kind of him. That's kind of him, isn't that right? And God promises to bless people who act like Jesus. Let's go to the next paragraph. Go ahead and read that for us, my brother. privilege granted Abraham and Lot is not denied to us. Did you hear that? Go ahead. By showing hospitality to God's children, we too may receive his angels into our dwellings. Even in our, even in our day, angels in human form enter the homes of men and are entertained by them. And Christians who live in the light of God's countenance are always accompanied by unseen angels. And these holy beings Leave behind them a blessing in our homes. Awesome. Now to the last point. Point number nine, or ten, it's really number ten. This one blew my mind. I, when, we, when we look at this point, it's gonna, it should blow your mind. This one blew my mind. Let's get, let's get to it. Deuteronomy 4, verse 1, 5, and 6. This is actually a biblical principle of how to study the Bible. Deuteronomy 4, verses, verse 1, 5, and 6. Who's ready to read? All right. Well, okay. Go ahead. All right. He said he hasn't found it yet. All right, brother, go ahead. Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. All right. What did the verse say was to be done after they were taught? For to do them. I teach you to do. I don't teach you just for information. I teach you so you will do them. Verse, look at verse 5. Go ahead and read that for us, Elder. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should do so in the land whither ye go to possess it. Keep going. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Mm, isn't that interesting? The people will say you're a wise and understanding people because you have intellect? 
No, because you do them and you apply them and your nation demonstrates in reality what the precepts and principles are. It is a demonstration. And notice verse 7. Look at verse 7. Read verse 7. For what nation is there so great who hath God? So nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for. So the, the nations will come to this group of people because this group, group of people not only teach, but they do. And their nations are pro, the nation is prospering. And all the people around will say, wow, what a wonderful nation. Who has God so nigh to them than these people who have this law written in their very being? Let's go to our next verse. This is repeated. Deuteron- Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. I mean, verse 3. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Revelation 1, in verse 3. You do have it now. All right. Go ahead. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that, they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. And keep, that means to do. Mm-hmm. Keep. Blessed is you, are you that hear, keep, do. The blessing is a three, three, it's three, it's three parts there. You can't just do without hearing. Is that right? All right, let's go a little further. What's our next verse? Leviticus 19.37. And then we're going to do it in Luke 11.28. You can look up the rest on your own time. All right, sister, go ahead. Therefore, shall ye observe all my statutes and all my judgments and do them. I am the Lord. The Lord says you can do them. The word do is important. Do, do. Think and do. All right? Do. Luke eleven twenty eight. Someone have it? Ready? Ready? But he said, yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Mm. Blessed are they that hear and do what? I want to get to the quotation. The quotation is awesome. Listen to this. And I'll read it. Just no, I read these things all the time. Someone else read. Read. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead and read. But if you do not make the sacred teachings of God's word the rule and guide of your life, all right, you got to read a little slower. Okay. But if you do not make the sacred teachings of God's word the rule and guide of your life, the truth will be nothing to you. Truth is efficient only as it is carried out in practical life. Did you see that? Truth is efficient only. What does only mean? There's no other way. Thank you for using a different phrase. All right. There is no other way. Truth is efficient only as it is carried out in practical life. Keep going. If the word of God condemns some habit you have indulged, a feeling you have cherished, a spirit you have manifested, turn not away from the sacred monitor, but turn away from the evil of your doings. And let Jesus cleanse and sanctify your heart. Confess your faults. Forsake, the whole, forsake them wholly and determinedly, believing the promises of God and showing your faith by your works. If the truth of the Bible are woven into practical life, they will bring the mind up from its earthliness and debasement. Those who are conversant, who are conversant with the scriptures will be men and women who exert an elevating influence. In searching for heaven-revealed truths, the Spirit of God is brought into close connection with the heart. An understanding of the revealed will of God enlarges the mind, expands, elevates, and endows it with new vigor by bringing its faculties into contact with the stupendous truth. No study is better given to give energy to the mind, to strengthen the intellect, than the study of the word of God. No other book is so potent in elevating the thoughts and giving vigor to the faculties as is the Bible, which contains the most ennobling truths. If God's word were studied as it should be, we should see greater breadth of mind, stability of purpose, and nobility of character. All right. Next paragraph, sir. Will you read that for us? A true knowledge of the Bible can be gained only through the aid of that spirit by whom the word was given. And in order to gain this knowledge, we must live by it. Did you see that? Did you see that? In other words, listen, I've watched people at my little training school, right? I've watched people study the Bible for two hours, come out from that Bible study, and yell at somebody. 
I've seen people in that Bible study, search, 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 study, 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 come out a few minutes later and are easily irritated and annoyed. I wonder, what were they studying? Who were they with? I, I don't understand that. If you spend that much time in this book with Jesus, there's no way you can come out like that. In order to gain this knowledge, we must live by it. Go ahead. All that God's word commands, we are to obey. All that it promises, we may claim. The life which it enjoins is the life that through its power we are to live. Only as the, the Bible is thus held, can it be studied effectively? Did you see that? To me, listen, listen to me carefully. To me, I can't say this is the most important because they're all very high in my list. This got to be right there at, like, right there. You cannot study the Bible effectively. You cannot interpret the Bible effectively if you are living contrary to his very precepts and principles. And this takes us right back to the home, right? Right back into our house. Right back into how I treat my wife, how I treat my daughter, how I treat the church members, how I treat God's church at large. You can't study the Bible and not apply its principles. Gain all that information. You know what that is, actually? It's called spiritual constipation. That's what that is. It's called spiritual constipation. That's why everybody's rude and mean. I figured it out, Brother Peter. People study so much, they don't know how to get that thing out. It's stuck. I mean, it's clear, isn't that right? Spiritually constipated. Don't know how to share. Let's go a little further. Next paragraph. Uh, you ready, sis? All right. It is by the pursuit of the Bible that the mind is strengthened, refined, and elevated. If there were not another book in the wide world, the word of God lived out through the grace of Christ would make man perfect in this world, with a character fitted for the future immortal life. Those who study the word, taking it in faith as the truth, and receiving it into the character will be complete in him who is all and in all. Thank God for the possibilities set before humanity. But a study of the many different authors confuses and wearies the mind and has a detrimental influence upon the religious life. Did you hear that? No, I'm not talking about worldly authors. Mm-mm. It's a different religious Authors or different authors. In another place, it says different religious authors. It wearies the mind. Why is that? Well, let me ask you a question. Um, if this is absolute perfection, and then I have the testimony of Jesus, which is God's word, and then I have another word that's not perfect, trying to explain the perfect word, then I have 20 different books on this perfect book, but all 20 of these books are imperfect, it creates a lot of confusion. Yeah, you got you to gotta really, listen, when I first started studying, listen, I would literally go to the bookstore and I would pray, Father, which book should I buy? I wouldn't just buy every book on some subject. Now I would pray, Father, which book should I buy? And the Father would instruct my mind. I read it, look over, okay, safe. I went to the store one time, and I wanted to buy a book. On the book, it says Second Coming. And I don't even want to say the author's name. But anyway, it says Second Coming on it. And I was looking at the book. I said, man, I got to get this book. You know, I love this book. Spirit said, don't buy the book. I was like, all right. I left, didn't buy it. Came back to the store because I'm a book junkie. Went back to the store. Oh, man, I got to get this book. Spirit said, don't buy that book, man. It's like, okay, 
Left. Third time, went back. Yo, I'm getting this book. I didn't even wait for the spirit. I was like, let me get it. Paid 30 bucks for that thick, it was a big, thick book like this. Got home, started reading that thing. I said, man, what is this? It's a waste of my energy and my time. This book is, this is garbage. Not spiritually feeding me. It's just, it's, to me, it's just not substantive, not, not what I'm used to eating. Careful what type of books you read. Infidel authors, even religious authors. Too many books confuse the mind, right? Who was reading for me? Keep reading, sister. In the Bible, I specify distinctly man's duties to God and to his fellow men. But without a study of the word, how can these requirements be met? We must have a knowledge of God, for this is life eternal, said Christ, that they may know thee, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. All right. Very good. Next, next paragraph. I have another reader, please. All right, go ahead. There's an eloquence far more powerful than the eloquence of words in the quiet, consistent life of a pure, true Christian. What a man is has more influence than what he says. The officers who were sent to Jesus came back to report that never man spoke as he spoke. But the reason for this was that never man lived as he lived. Had his life been other than it was, he could not have spoken as he did. His words bore with them a convincing power because they came from a heart pure and holy, full of love and sympathy, benevolence and truth. Amen. Keep going. Yes. It is our own character and experience that determine our influence upon others. In order to convince others of the power of Christ's grace, we must know its power in our hearts and lives. The gospel we present for the saving of souls must be the gospel by which our own souls are saved. Only through a living faith in Christ as a personal Savior is it possible to make our influence felt in a skeptical world. If we would draw sinners out of the swift running current, our own feet must be firmly set upon the rock, Christ Jesus. That's one. The badge of Christianity is not an outward sign, Amen. not the wearing of a cross or crown, but it is that which reveals the union of man with God. By the power of his grace manifested in the transformation of character. In the transformation of what? Character. Okay, go ahead. The world is to be convinced that God has sent his son as its redeemer. Well, how is the world to be convinced? By the transformation of what? Character. It's simply by a proclamation of a word. No. No. Character. The character. The character would demonstrate whether the gospel is real or not real. People are tired of false Christians. They're sick of it. They want the genuine. Where are the true Christians? Not the mere professors. All right. Keep reading. No other influence can surround the human soul. That such power as the influence of an unselfish life. What kind of, what kind of life? Unselfish. Let me, let me qualify this, because sometimes, you know, we like to say this word. I'll say this word. We like to say victory over sin. Right? That's a good word. It's, that's an excellent idea. But let me translate that into practicalness. It's victory over selfishness. Can I translate that that way? It's victory over selfishness. Having it my way. Speaking in a way that is not kind and winsome, not being loving, victory over sin includes that. That's what it is. It's not simply saying the church is bad. You die for your church. You love your church. You give your all for the church. Whether the church accepts it or not. Whether it accepts it or not. <laughs> Whether they're droids or not. Amen. Read the last, the last sentence, my brother. You were reading for me. Read that last sentence. The strongest argument in favor of the What's the strongest argument? Watch this now. The strongest argument is not the defining of the 2300 days, the state of the day at the Sabbath. It's a loving and lovable Christian. It's a loving and what? Lovable. Well, lovable. lovable. What is lovable? Can, can you be hugged? That's a lovable Christian. Can people love you? 
or is it hard to love you? And there are some people, they look like they got porcupine things sticking out their body. Because they don't seem lovable. It's like, how can I love somebody like that? They seem so rough. But I'm lovable, so I'm going to go try to hug them anyway, despite the, the, the things that are coming out their body. Is that right? The strongest argument in favor of the gospel is a loving and lovable Christian. But let's just be honest from here. None of us are really loving or lovable. <laughs> to be honest, of our natural selves, there is no loving or lovableness about us. We need Jesus. Amen. We need to press close to him. And that's what the study of the word is to produce in us. Loving and lovable Christians. Christians that would rather die than sin against their loving master. How many understood what we studied today? Amen. How much time do I have after? How much time? Seven minutes. All right. So we'll cut that part. I want to share just a few more points with you. All right. Let's go a little further. This is not necessarily Bible study. I put on this paper some emphasis in regards to the need for memorizing scripture. Okay? I put some things here. Why should I memorize scripture? And the prophet tells us, fourth in the testimonies, 459 says, several times each day. How many times each day? Several. several times each day, golden moments should be consecrated to prayer and the study of the scriptures. If it is only for only to commit a text to memory, that spiritual life may exist in the soul. So we should take time in our day, a moment, 30 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever, and start memorizing scripture. It's important to do it. That's how life is sustained in the soul. Right. Notice the next one. God's precious word is the standard for our youth who would be loyal to the king of heaven. Let them study the scriptures. Let them commit text after text to memory and acquire a knowledge of what God has said. We remember songs of rappers and gangsters and and all sorts of crazy. We remember. I know a young person who memorized lines from movies. Right. But we can't memorize words from the creator. Now, watch this last day events. 67 says, build a wall of scriptures around you and you will see that the world cannot break it down. Commit the scriptures to memory and then throw right back upon Satan when he comes with his temptations. It is written. This is the way. What is the way? What way was that? The scriptures. This is the way that our Lord met the temptations of Satan and resisted them. Is Jesus our example? Yes. If he's our example, then I need to follow that example. Satan comes with a temptation. I need to be able to say some Bible verses. Amen. Hang in memory's hall the precious words of Christ. They are to be valued far above silver or gold. I mean, how, how many hours a day on average? Eight hours a day you go to work to get money? And you can't spend an hour taxing your mind, memorizing. Memorization of scripture is just like meditating. I mean, for me, it's the same thing. In the morning, I'll get up, and my devotion may consist of memorizing this scripture, meditating on that scripture till I understand what that scripture means, and I'm able to say that scripture to my wife by the time she gets up. You understand what I'm saying? Because it's a part of me now. All right? Let's go a little bit further. Here's instruction, instruction from inspiration. Keep a pocket Bible with you as you work and improve every opportunity to commit to memory its precious promises. Keep a pocket Bible. This instruction. I'm getting ready for war. I need to know practically how to go to war. Is that right? So I need a weapon in my pocket. You have your iPads. I say get a real pocket. I mean, come on. That thing might die on you. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> It's possible. It's possible. All right. Get a Bible. Put that thing in your pocket. All right. Let's go a little further. The time will come when many will be deprived of the written word. But if this word is printed in the memory, no one can take it from us. 
All right. Commit his precious promises to memory so that when we shall be deprived of our Bibles, we may still be in possession of the word of God. Now, now somebody says, what do I memorize? You know, the prophet tells you what to memorize. Oh, I love that. I, I went through. I said, what should I memorize, Lord? And she tells you what to memorize. Notice I have it highlighted there. It says the mind must be restrained and not allowed to wonder. It should be trained to dwell upon scriptures. It should be trained to do what? That means you're thinking about it day and night. Train your mind not to randomly go hither and yon. Focus. If you're studying, my mind constantly, I'm not perfect at it yet, but my mind constantly is going through different studies that I've started. And it'll be in the middle of the day. I'll be walking, I'll be cleaning the dishes, or I'll be sweeping the floor. And as I'm sweeping, I'll be like, I run over there because a thought would have come to my mind of an explanation for what I was studying. Remember, angels are teaching you. And as you're carrying out your practical duties of your life, you may not have that written word there, but you're just doing it. You're thinking, singing songs, praises to God. You're in that word, and the Holy Spirit will say, now here's the answer to the question you asked earlier today. Oh, yeah. I'll run back. <laughs> and I'll get there. And I'll, you know, it's fun, man. I love it. Anyway, you guys. I don't know where you go. It says, it should be trained to dwell upon scriptures. Even whole chapters may be committed to memory. To be repeated when Satan comes with his temptations. Now listen to this. Okay. The 58th of Isaiah. The what? Is a profitable chapter for this purpose. For what purpose? Memorization. Not just memorization. It, was a, it says something else. To use against Satan when he comes with temptation. The 58th chapter. So somebody, by the next time I come back, you should have locked in Isaiah 58. Amen. Wall the soul in with the restrictions and instructions given by the inspiration of the Spirit of God. When Satan would lead the mind to dwell upon earthly and sensual things, he is, he is most effectually resisted with, it is written. When he suggests doubts as to whether we are really the people whom God is leading, whom by test and proving he is prepared to stand in the great day, be ready to meet his insinuations by presenting the clear evidence from the word of God that we are keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. You should be able to present clear evidence of this point. Everybody. So if I'm preaching that subject and I fall you know, to sleep or I die right there, you should be able to stand up and finish the sermon. This is how Adventism used to be. Brother got sick. <coughs> I can't finish. Deacon so-and-so came up and said, no problem, brother. Finish that sermon. We need to be able to do it. I want to jump down. Look at uh, from, the, from their pastors. You see that there? From their pastors, the youth received instruction. While attention was given to the branches of general learning, the Bibles made the chief study. The Gospels of Matthew and John, they committed to memory with many of the epistles. We're not, listen, these were Christians. If I ask somebody to stand up right here in this room today, please quote for me Matthew, the whole book, please. John, the whole book, please. I mean, and forget about it, Jude. Just do Jude. There's only a couple verses there. People of God couldn't do it. I dare say if I ask you to repeat for me the Ten Commandments verbatim, no mistakes. Third angel's message. No mistakes. I dare say the large portion in this room would be disqualified. I'm encouraging you to memorize. Okay? It says, uh, prophecy, the prophecy foretold that Jesus Christ, prophecy foretold that Christ was to appear as the root of the dry ground. He hath no form, no comeliness, wrote Isaiah. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we sh should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. This chapter should be studied. Notice the, the emboldened. The entire chapter should be committed to? That's Isaiah 53. That's an awesome one to memorize. I love that one. 
Look at the next page. The 12th and 13th chapters of 1 Corinthians should be committed to memory, written in the mind and heart. Do you see that? Memorize 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. This is instruction. Uh, let's go a little bit further. We should take one. No, not that one. We'll pass that one. The mind must be restrained and not allowed to wonder. It should be trained to dwell upon scriptures, even whole chapters may be committed to memory. To be repeated when Satan comes with his temptations, even while you are walking on the streets, you may read a passage and meditate on it. Thus fixing in your mind and God will flash the knowledge. I like the word she uses there. God will flash the knowledge obtained into the memory at the very time when it is needed. All right, so that's just a couple of ideas. You can read the rest in your own time. It's time for us to close. Beloved, study your Bibles. Meditate on God's word. Allow that word to become a part of you. Divinity combined with humanity. Therefore, God's image can be restored in man and we can leave this planet. Is that all right? Let's have a word of prayer as we close. Father in heaven, I just thank you for the privilege of studying your word. We thank you for being here with us. For even as we spoke here, your angels were instructing and enlightening our understanding. Please, Father, help us to live what we teach and preach. That the world will see with, without question that we are Christians. Loving and lovable Christians. We pray this in the name of Jesus and claim the merits of his blood. Amen.